It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of those that a podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other host of the podcast. Dude. What a wild card weekend, and we still not done yet. Oh, for sure, bro. I, you know the whole wild card weekend, the way that they phrase it, I, bro. That was a good way to describe what happened this past weekend because five games, all of them were pretty good outside of the 49ers and Seahawks one. That one kind of turned into a bloodbath for Seattle, but all the other four games that we saw this weekend outside of that one were great, and we still have another one. Uh, that's going to take place on Monday night with the Bucks and the Cowboys. So that's going to be a fun one as well to close out the quote-unquote wild card weekend. But, uh, bro, you went 5-5 five five for your picks. You know, we'll see what happens with the Bucks and the Cowboys. But, bro, you might go 6-6 six for six this weekend. That's pretty good. Listen, I don't, I don't know a time where I've actually, not bet, but put confidence in picking Brady as much as I do because obviously my hatred for Tom is so deep-rooted. So now for me to have a flawless wildcard weekend, my hopes are in literally my worst enemy's hands. I don't know how this is going to go. He might lose on purpose. Well, every time that he's gone against you, he's he's given you a lot of grief, a lot of pain. Hopefully that doesn't uh, happen this time around because, bro, I'm in the same boat as you. I picked the Bucks to win that one too. But uh, obviously uh, we'll see what happens on, on Monday night or tonight, I should say typically we record on Sunday. It's, it's it's actually kind of weird to be recording on a Monday in the afternoon. So. Yeah, I know. But, uh, bro, we got a solid agenda. We got all the wild card weekends to game. Uh, we got all the wild card weekend games to go over. Uh, we'll give our first impressions of the divisional round games. Kev, you ready to dive into it? Oh, but of course. All right, so the way we'll start this off is we'll go over the Bengals and Ravens. That game took place last night. Very competitive game. Uh, was a defensive battle, but Cincinnati does advance to the divisional round, winning by the score of 24 to 17. After that, we'll kick it over to the Bills and the Dolphins, which was just an absolute shootout of a game. Uh, the Bills escape to advance to the divisional round with a 34 to 30, uh, 31 win. Kev, I was surprised by that one. That game was a lot closer than I originally expected. Uh, after that, we'll kick it to the Jaguars and the Chargers game. A phenomenal game. Uh, the Chargers got off to a 27-0 start, and then the Jags come back in the second half. They win by the score of 31-30 to to advance the, the divisional round. I imagine uh, that one will definitely be a fun game to go over, just knowing uh, the Chargers just fully collapsed in that game. After that, we'll kick it to the Giants and the Vikings. Uh, the Giants... Advanced to the divisional round in 
a pretty convincing win over the Vikings. Uh, the Giants offense just could not be stopped the entire day. And uh, putting up 31 points in the process, that's a good look for New York going into the divisional round. And then to round out the wild card games uh, from this past weekend, we'll go over the 49ers and the Seahawks, uh, which kind of like what I said already, was just an absolute beatdown by the 49ers. Didn't start out that way. The Seahawks were actually up going into halftime. And then the 49ers just put the pedal to the metal in the second half, and they never looked back. And uh, I have to say, though, Brock Purdy, as their quarterback, he's nice. And uh, I don't know what the path for the 49ers for the rest of the playoffs is going to be like. There's going to definitely be a conversation about whether or not that he should be the starter moving forward for San Francisco because the way that he's been playing, he's been lights out. So, and then we'll pretty much round out the episode with just our initial thoughts of the divisional round. Obviously, we still have the one game uh, between Dallas and Tampa to go through. But outside of that one game that's left, uh, we'll go over what we're going to think of the divisional matchups that are going to take place later this week. So that will round out the agenda for you guys. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this Bengals and Ravens game to start off the show. So first things first, uh, the Bengals do get the dub beat the Ravens by a score of 24 to 17. Uh, despite the Ravens falling short in this game, it was a well-rounded effort from the Ravens. They were able to score effectively and that Ravens defense held strong pretty much throughout the entirety of the game. Uh, the Ravens were up at halftime. Uh, the Bengals were able to get some decent drives started in the second half and they were able to score some touchdowns. And I'll tell you, the whole game was basically decided on the one yard line with Tyler Huntley trying to dive across the pylon to get a touchdown, ends up getting stripped, and then the Bengals run it back for a fumble that turned out to be a touchdown in the process. Freaking Hubbard was running it probably as fast as he could, but uh, I, knew, I knew he needed some oxygen after that play because that was a long run for him. But uh, the, the, the Ravens unfortunately lose. The Bengals advance to the divisional round. So... Just It's one of those divisional games in, in the AFC North, and it kind of lived up to expectations of just being one of those typical AFC North battles that we see time and time again. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, what are your thoughts about the Bengals defeating the Ravens in the wild card re weekend and advancing to the divisional round? I would say as a Joe Burrow fan, I'm definitely worried. Um, it wasn't a convincing game like I thought it would be. I mean, for the most part, I predicted out of you, me, and Charlie that this would be a lot closer than anticipated because of the offensive line. And I was right. Joe got sacked four times, pressured multiple times. I mean, he was hit five or six times as well. So he was constantly, you know, trying to escape the pocket, trying to create his own space and, you know, just feel comfortable, get into a rhythm. And he didn't have the worst game. He didn't have any turnovers. But again, it's just the sake of... This is the point we've been making all season. Without an offensive line, you are not going to be able to move the football effectively. The run game was kind of like up and down. I mean, like Joe Mixon had what? He had 39 yards as a team. They had 51. That was terrible. I mean, 2.8 yards per carry. The Bengals were really unable to get it going on offense. And that is in big part because Baltimore's defense, led by Roquan Smith and others, were able to get in the backfield consistently, and that's because they were able to pressure. The offensive line was not, able to, was not able to move at the line of scrimmage. I mean, again, it's just kind of a repetitive nature at this point for the Bengals. It's like they're doing really good, and then the offensive line takes a break. It's not necessarily a break when you lose, I believe, Kappa as well as Lyle Collins going into the postseason. So 
it definitely posed a, a worrisome uh, view for me to look out on the Bengals, especially facing the Bills next week. But I have to give credit where it's due, man. Baltimore pushed them to the brink of it. I mean, they, they, I mean, Tyler Huntley, as, mu- as, much as, as much as people give him crap about not being Lamar Jackson, as much as people give him a lot of crap about not being the, the best backup, I mean, he played efficient football. He had almost 300 all-purpose yards between 54 on the ground, 226 in the air, two touchdowns. He had that one interception. But... A passer rating of 92, a QBR of 74. You can't really ask much more from your number two in a postseason matchup against a superior football team. So, again, like I said, I believe personally, and I've seen this on social media as well as between my friend group, if Lamar plays, I think the Bengals get exposed. I mean, the Bengals were not able to do much, and their defense outside of that 98-yard touchdown it really wasn't really able to slow down the consistency of Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore ran the ball for 155 yards. That's four and a half yards a carry. So when they needed to, they did what they needed to do. But I mean, I would say Cincinnati is in immediate, oh shit mode. Because I mean, they were not really able to get it going. Like I said, at a consistent enough clip for me to say, this is the Bengals of last year or superior. So as, as I would say, you know, Joe Burrow looked great to an extent, but not to the liking of what he's looked like, what I want to say, the last, what, six or seven weeks when the Bengals have been on that win streak of theirs. But um, going into next week, it's going to be very, very competitive, especially since Buffalo struggled in their matchup as well, which we'll get into in a few minutes. But overall, I mean, the Bengals get the dub. That's all that matters, and they move on. Again, it's like Joe Burrow said, that championship window exists as long as he is going to be the quarterback of the Bengals. I think with this game, it was just a pretty typical AFC North battle. And Okay, we got we have to kind of put this into context here. These two teams just played each other last week. So both teams kind of knew each other going into this game pretty well. And I will say, I you know, for me personally, I thought that the Bengals were going to absolutely run away with this game. I just didn't think that the Ravens would really be able to score more than 10 to 15 points. And I mean, granted, they scored 17, but they were competitive nonetheless. It's just... To me, it came down to that one play on the goal line for the Ravens where Tyler Huntley tried to get across the pylon, fumble the ball, and then the Bengals run it back for a touchdown on a fumble recovery. If the Ravens don't have that play, if it's a touchdown instead of a fumble recovery, there's a chance that the Ravens could win that game. So when it comes to the Bengals in in this instance, yeah, there's a little bit of cause of concern just because you got to a point where you're up 17 to 10, and then the defense just gets absolutely exposed by Demarcus Robinson, especially Eli Apple, who bit on what was kind of like a hitch and go, where Demarcus Robinson just absolutely burned him. And then the game's tied at 17 apiece. And then, you know, the Bengals have some opportunities to try to march down the field and get some points on the board. But that Ravens defense, give them credit. They shut down Joe Burrow and that Bengals offense to a pretty pedestrian second half. I mean, granted, they scored 15 points in the second half, but typically when we've seen the Bengals play this year, they're capable of putting big chunks of points, especially in the second half, and that just really didn't happen in this game. Now, I will say, when it comes to the Bengals, I think this is just kind of one of those games where they relied on their defense to get this win to a certain extent just because that was just the nature of the game. And... You know, fortunately for them, their defense stepped up and made that goal line stand. And then in the ensuing playoff, they were able to get a fumble and then run it back for a touchdown, which essentially was the game-winning touchdown. 
And I think going into next week, you know, they're going to have to focus on trying to get a little bit more consistency on the offensive side of the ball if they're going to be successful in the divisional round. But also the defense, I think, has to kind of play up to that same standard that they played against the Ravens this past weekend. Now, obviously, they're going to be presented with a much more difficult challenge than what they were faced with in Tyler Huntley. So they may have to make some adjustments and really try to get a effective pass rush going going into next week. But, I mean, when it comes to my overall stance of where the Bengals are right now, a win is a win. Uh, there's definitely going to be uh, some things they're going to look back and film and try to adjust going into next week. But if they play like they did against the Ravens this past weekend going into that divisional round, there's a good chance that they could find themselves uh, outside of the playoffs uh, very soon just because I think when it comes to their effectiveness as a whole, it could be better. I think they probably know that too. I think this is just one of those games where it was a divisional game. It was kind of a grind and it kind of just played like that throughout the entirety of the game. So they still, they're still a good team. The, the Bengals are a team that could compete for a Super Bowl as far as I'm concerned. You know, a lot of these teams in the AFC could st still compete for a Super Bowl. But yeah, the, the Bengals definitely got away with it a little bit. Uh, their defense, I think, saved the game. And I think they're just going to have to fine-tune some things going into next week's game uh, if they're going to be competitive to try to make an AFC championship berth uh, after next week. I mean, like I said, as long as Joe Burrow's there, as long as the confidence that he brings is there, I think that they'll be fine. But they have to make adjustments on that line, whether they keep a tight end at the line of scrimmage, whether the running backs chip, whether instead of at the line of scrimmage in terms of like under center, you put Joe Moore in a, in a shotgun formation, you have to give him as much time as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. But before we move on, got to shout out the boys in the chat right now, man. We really appreciate all the support. Corey, Nick, Ducky, uh, genuinely appreciate you guys for being here and supporting the podcast. Um, means a whole lot to me and Kyle. So just wanted to say that really quick before we got onto the next subject. Yeah, I think just to kind of make one final point about the Bengals, uh, you could definitely tell that their offensive line injuries are having an effect on the offense. Uh, just just not being able to generate consistency on the offensive side of the ball and with Baltimore bringing effective pass rushes and limiting uh, that Bengals run game. That was huge for, for Baltimore. Unfortunately for them, they fell a little bit short. But with Cincy going up against Buffalo next week, that's going to be a tough challenge. Just because Buffalo's defense, I mean, you, you could definitely make the case that Buffalo's defense is better than Baltimore's, even though that Baltimore yeah. played pretty well last night. And we'll just kind of see where it goes. But, hey, bro, I, I know we'll kind of get into it later, but just, just first impression of just Josh Allen, Joe Burrow in a divisional setting, that's going to be a good game. So. Absolutely. We're getting the game that unfortunately was canceled due to the DeMar Hamlin injury. So, I mean, yeah. this is going to be the setting that we wanted to look at regardless. And we're going to get now into the Bills portion of this as the Bills dodge an actual bullet from the Miami Dolphins led by their third string quarterback and their defense. Um, I mean, Kyle, this is your division. I wanted to pose this one to you. What are your thoughts on Buffalo barely beating the Miami Dolphins in this wildcard matchup? They got lucky. There's no other way to say it. And to me, the biggest thing that slowed down the Bills in this game was their turnovers. And this has been a consistent theme with the Bills this year. They have just had inopportune turnovers time and time again this year. And in some of these games, it's cost them. 
Now, fortunately for them, that didn't happen in this game. But I have to say, the Dolphins pushed them, I think, to their breaking point because there were times throughout this game where the Bills have a turnover, the Dolphins take advantage of it, they put points on the board. And then it actually got to a point where at halftime, it was 17-17. to The Bills got off to a 17-0 to start. They, I mean, the Bills came flying right out of the gate. And then these turnovers popped up once again for the Bills. And then the Dolphins took advantage of it. And they really made it a competitive game. And even in the second half, the Dolphins were up. So it really, once you factor in those turnovers, I mean, it was a significant portion of this game. Fortunately for the Bills, they were able to stabilize and they were able to lead some effective drives offensively in the second half that got some points on the board and did create somewhat of a cushion. But even with that said, the Dolphins, led by Skylar Thompson at the quarterback position, had some nice drives in the second half to be able to get some points on the board. And the fact that the Dolphins got this to within three points at the end of the game, you got to give them an A-plus for effort because they were playing balls at a wall yesterday. Unfortunately for them, they just couldn't get the defensive stop that they, that they needed late in the fourth quarter to try to get either a game-tying field goal or a game-winning touchdown uh, at the end of the fourth quarter. But the Bills were just able to execute on that last drive that they had in that fourth quarter to be able to go into victory formation and advance to the divisional round. Now, when it comes to the Bills moving forward into this divisional game that they'll play against uh, the Bengals next week, they got to clear up their turnovers. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. Josh Allen's been turning the ball over way too often this year. I think this year in particular, he had 15 interceptions, which I think was tied for the most in the NFL. And once again, he had a couple turnovers in this game, had a couple interceptions, also got strip sacked, which I think was actually turned into a touchdown uh, by the Miami defense in the same exact play. And if they have these turnovers occur once again in the Bengals next week, it could be a very tough game for the Bills as a whole. The Bills are still one of the more well-rounded teams in the NFL. You could make a case that they are the most well-rounded team in the NFL. But the biggest thing with them has been their turnovers this year. And to me, if they're going to miss a Super Bowl this year, it is going to be because of their turnovers. They're just going to get into a position where they dig themselves in too deep of a hole and they just can't get themselves out of it. Fortunately for them, they dodged a bullet, like you said, Kev, yesterday. Because I didn't think that the Bills uh, were going to be in this much of a dogfight against the Dolphins yesterday. But they were able to kind of just roll through the punches yesterday and end up getting a victory. But albeit, it was a little close for comfort as far as I see it. So they're definitely going to have to make some adjustments. They're going to have to clean up their turnovers going into next week uh, if they want to get farther in the playoffs. But honestly... That's just how I see it. Well, I mean, first of all, I have to start this off with a massive kudos to Mike McDaniels. I mean, people like myself and other multiple media outlet personas, they were, or personality, excuse me, were saying that this was going to be a route, just like I did. I mean, no faith with Skylar Thompson, no faith with this defense. Mike got them prepared. Ending the season the way that they did on a six-game skate and then barely beating the Jets. I mean, the narratives were circulating throughout all of football media, right? Just the Dolphins aren't ready. They don't belong here. They're going to get washed. Potential of Mike McDaniels getting fired. All these things, right? And then they go and they take one of the best teams in the league with their third-string quarterback and a multitude of missing pieces, and they bring them to the precipice of defeat. Like, literally, they're at the door. I just don't understand how it happened. This is why people say... 
any given Sunday. I know that there were some playoff games on Saturday, so I'm just, you know, for the reference. Um, it could happen at any time. You know, the Bills looked off. I mean, Josh Allen had three fumbles. Luckily, he only lost one of them. But let's be frank, the offensive line of both teams were horrible. Skylar Thompson was hit 11 times. Josh Allen was hit 13 times. Josh Allen was sacked officially seven times. Skylar was sacked four. So if the Bills are going to look to making any types of strides for improvement, it's got to come up front. First and foremost, now I know that the Bengals, who they're going to face next week, aren't exactly known for sacking the quarterback, but when you're pressured this much in a playoff game, I just said the same thing about Joe Burrow, and Kyle said the same thing about the offense. It slows the momentum down. It slows the offense down to a point where mistakes are made. You start to second guess. You start to, to, to hesitate, and that's why the turnovers were happening so often for the Bills. Josh Allen had three turnovers alone between the fumble and the two interceptions. We didn't expect much from Skylar Thompson. I mean, his numbers say it for itself. 18 of 45, which is just horrible. Two interceptions, a QBR of 22.6, and a passer rating of 44.7. Like, that is just not going to get it done in the playoffs. We didn't expect it to be this close, but if two is there, maybe even Teddy Bridgewater, I think the Bills lose this game. I said the same thing about the Ravens game just a, a couple minutes ago. If the starting quarterbacks for each opposing team are playing, I think that both of these teams get upset, truthfully and honestly. I mean, the Bills played that bad, as did the, as did the Bengals, and it's going to be who plays worse next week? Because, I mean, Josh Allen, like Kyle alluded to earlier, and as he has been all, all season, Josh Allen, for whatever reason, has been very, very turnover prone. And it's just not looking good for the Bills in critical moments. They've had a couple close games that didn't need to be as close as they were. And if their defense didn't save them in that final stand, um, I think it was in the fourth quarter, like I said, going uh, trying to score or go up. I truly and honestly believe that this, that this game goes a whole different direction. I mean... Buffalo ran the ball for over 100 yards, but that Buffalo defense was able to lock down Miami's rushing attack, and they only had 42 total rushing yards in that game. So Buffalo did what they needed to do, similar to Cincinnati. Both games were very, very similar outside of the scores in terms of quarterback struggles, defenses having to step up in the most important moments. But, I mean, Kyle also had stated, man, Miami dropped a couple of passes. I mean, Tyreek Hill had 15 targets, and he only caught seven of them. Some of them were overthrown. Some of them were miscued. But I, I do know for a fact there were some critical drops throughout some of these drives that could have kept that momentum going. But it is what it is. I think they showed enough fight to, to prove that come next season when they're fully healthy, when they have a full season under their belt with their starting quarterback, I think that this team can make some noise in next year's playoffs. But as of right now, the Bills are moving on. Miami goes home. I'm hoping, for my brother's sake, Mike McDaniels secured his job by bringing these boys together and competing against the Bills. I don't think he's being fired. I don't think anybody put out not. that narrative uh, that he should be fired based off of what happened this year with the Dolphins. That's just that's just outrageous as far as I see it. The Dolphins were hurt. The Dolphins had many, many injuries this year. Obviously, the biggest one with Tua suffering multiple concussions this year. And what are you supposed to do? Granted, they did not finish the season that well. Like you said, five, six-game skid at the end of the year. Barely beat the Jets to get into the playoffs. But, you know, when you're down, you're starting quarterback, and then you're back up on top of it, you know, you're relying on basically a rookie third-string quarterback to get you to the promised land. Now, granted, I will say for San Francisco, that actually happens to be working out with them. I just think it's because the 49ers are just more healthy and they have a great system around Brock to work right. with. But, you know, with Mike McDaniel, this being his first season as a head coach for the Dolphins, 
he got them to the playoffs. I didn't think that was actually going to happen going into the season. I actually expected the uh, the Bills to get to the division, and then I had the Patriots being that one wild card team to come out Agreed. of the AFC East. But you know, I think this is one of those seasons where you just kind of look back. It's like, yeah, injuries definitely played their part for the Dolphins this year, and I think that just kind of comes with the territory of the game. And hopefully for next year, they can get into a situation where they stay a little bit more relatively healthy and that they can actually compete at, I won't say 100% as far as the roster is concerned because you're never really going to have a fully healthy roster going into a playoff game. But, you know, if they were to get into the playoffs next year, I think there is a chance that they could be a little bit more healthier going into next year's playoff game if they were to make it than what they were this year. There were just too many injuries as far as I see it. And they definitely played their part for sure. So, yeah, it's, it's a bad loss for the Dolphins. Obviously, you know, their season comes to an end. But I still think there's some potential promise with the Dolphins here. I, I think the biggest thing is what's going to happen with Tua. Because obviously his health is going to be the main priority going into this offseason. And I will say, give Mike McDaniel credit. I think he was looking at the long-term view of Tua here instead of the short-term. And, you know, if Tua had passed concussion protocol, would he have played? I'm not no, I'm not so necessarily sure about that because I think Mike McDaniel was so. kind of hesitant about putting Tua in regardless. So yeah. I think they probably wanted to play it safe with this one. Obviously, they played phenomenal as a unit um, defensively. D- the defense kept them in it, forcing those turnovers, spotting the offense in great position to at least get some points on the board. It's just when the defense needed to stop at the end of the fourth quarter uh, to get the ball back to the offense, they just weren't able to do it. And look, it, one of the things that, that popped up with Skyler running the offense yesterday was whenever they had to work from basically their 25 and try to get down the field, there were very few times where they could lead effective drives offensively. They just they couldn't do it. And most of the time they had to set up for punts. So I, that's what kind of happens, though, when you have a third-string quarterback and you're you're limited in what you can run with the playbook. So it is what it is, but you know, to, just to kind of focus on the Bills, they, they definitely got some issues uh, that they need to correct, especially with turning the ball over. That's the biggest thing that I could take away with from them. Agreed. And that's really the, really the biggest thing is that the Bills and the Bengals, they didn't look good this past weekend. At you know Both teams collectively, they just did not look good. And I think both teams are going to look in the mirror. It's like, yeah, we definitely got to get our shit together going into next week if we want to advance to the AFC Championship game. Agreed. There's the- going to be some things that they need to clean up without a doubt. Sure, but Kev, we got to talk about this wild comeback that happened on Saturday night. I'm still stuck. It was incredible what Jacksonville was able to do against the Chargers. Jacksonville comes back from 27 to nothing to beat the Chargers by the score of 31 to 30. They get the game-winning field goal at the end of the fourth quarter to advance to the divisional round where they will play the Kansas City Chiefs next week in Arrowhead, but... Kev, we just got to talk about this game because this game, it looked over for the Jags basically at halftime. And then they were just able to get some drives in the second half and they limited that Chargers offense to three total points in the second half. So Kev, to kick this one to you, what do you make of this incredible comeback by the Jaguars this past weekend? And how do you think it's going to affect them going into the Chiefs game in that divisional round next week? Well, I mean, you know, I want to just start off with saying I picked Jacksonville. Didn't start off looking good with my pick, like Kyle said at the first half. But, I mean, I, I it goes to show what one year's difference can do 
with experience under your belt and a coaching change. Last year, Urban Meyer was the head coach. Trevor Lawrence looked mediocre, to say the least, as a number one overall pick. Now we're talking about they're beating a competitive football team in the playoffs and moving on to face the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Like, that's a narrative I don't believe anybody saw coming. But let's start it off with Jacksonville's defense was incredible in terms of stopping the run. They held the Chargers to 67 yards rushing. That's 2.9 yards per carry. They put it all on Justin Herbert's shoulders, which is exactly what I said they needed to do in order to get a victory. And at first, again, like I said before, it didn't necessarily look too good because of how slow they started with all the turnovers. I mean, let's get it straight. Trevor Lawrence had four turnovers before the half, and it was kind of getting a little out of hand that Asante Samuel Jr. (laughs) had three of them by himself. But, I mean, he's just like his daddy. He's a ball hawk. So, I mean, you know, I got his helmet, his mini helmet, actually, like right behind me, the Patriots one. That's the one Patriots thing I own in my life. And that's the only thing I'll ever own that's a Patriots thing, for the record. But, I mean, Justin Herbert, 43 passing attempts. I mean, it, it was solely all on his shoulders. Trevor Lawrence was able to hand the ball off to Travis Etienne. He had 109 yards, averaging five and a half a carry. I mean, Trevor in the second half was able to move them down the field effectively to get them and put them in position, and he happened to capitalize while in the red zone. I mean, he had four touchdown passes in that second half, or should I say three in the second half, and I believe he had one in the uh, to, to close out that half. Dude, that Jacksonville defense stepped up. There's nothing else you can say. I mean, three points in the second half as opposed to 27 in the first. There's, there's literally no argument, no conversation to be had. I don't understand how this happened. Kyle actually texted me. He goes, this shit's fixed. <laughs> and Kyle's not someone to say that because I turned it off. When it, went, when it was 27-0, I was at my girl's house. I turned it off. I had no reason to watch it anymore. I was like, damn it. You know, shout out to LA. I was pretty much checked out. I didn't want to text Charlie because I was like, let me let him enjoy this moment. Thank God I didn't because I would have been a long list of other people that said, oh, it's over. And then Jacksonville goes out and comes out the way that they did. So, I mean, kudos to Jacksonville. They proved a lot of people wrong. Um, they showed that the weapons and offense that they, they, they work with has gotten better every single game. I mean, Evan Ingram was a tight end that's known for dropping passes left and right in New York. Christian Kirk was a career number two, number three in Arizona. Zay Jones, a traveling wide receiver, he ends up coming up big as well. I mean, the, the combination of all three of those, they ended up with three touchdowns, over 250 yards between the three of them. I, I, I don't really know what to say. It just they carried the offense. And they found a way to get it done. So as a team, as a unit, Jacksonville moves forward. They're going up against a really tough opponent in the Chiefs. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's going to be a blowout or anything. I know we're going to get into the divisional predictions in just a few minutes. But overall, in terms of what I see, Jacksonville's got confidence. This is pivotal for them to win. They were a win-and-get-in situation versus Tennessee to get the AFC South title. This is another thing to kind of catapult a team and gain momentum at the right time because it's teams like this higher teams like Kansas City will downplay oh they're coming to our house wildcard teams are always slept on I didn't say that they were because obviously they're a divisional opponent but overall Jacksonville shocked the world in a lot of ways especially with it being the third largest comeback in postseason history but I think that Kansas City needs to take this very serious because I don't see Trevor Lawrence making another four mistakes like this and it could be even more deadly than he was in the second half I mean it was just a phenomenal comeback from the Jags as a whole, because like you said, Kev, I thought this game was over once it was 27, nothing. And then just slowly, but surely the Jags started putting drives together. I honestly think that that touchdown drive right before halftime, I think it settled the team as a whole. I think at first, this is pretty apparent to say, or pretty obvious. 
the lights were a little bit bright for them at first. And I think maybe the, maybe the jitters got to them a little bit, especially with Trevor throwing four interceptions. I mean, we've been watching Trevor for the last couple of years, and I think it's safe to say that we've never seen him start off a game this poorly. Hell no. So the fact that he was able to come back and put up four touchdowns throughout the entirety of the game with three in the second half, I mean, you want to talk about just flipping the script and just basically just dialing it up entirely in the second half. Good on him. And when it comes to the Chargers, what happened? What happened? 27 points in the first half, three in the second half. It was literally a tale of two halves. And, you know, that's what the Jags are moving on. And the Chargers aren't. So, you know, just looking at this game in totality, I thought the Chargers had this one. Simply just because when you get up to 27 nothing on the road and you just establish dominance defensively, man, usually that's good when you games. But unfortunately for them, their defense just fell apart in the second half. And Kev, they gave up 23 points in the second half. You, you just can't have that. I understand the offense wasn't doing anything incredible to get points on the board for them, but you just can't give up drive after drive after drive to get touchdowns against you. And I think when we look at the Chargers as a whole, I think the Chargers are the first team in NFL history to win the turnover battle by five and still lose. I think I don't think we've ever seen anything happen like that before. I think we've seen teams lose a turnover margin by like three or four turnovers and still win a game. That's a little bit more frequent. But five, and you still lose, that's not a good look for the Chargers. So when it comes to them specifically, I, I'll be honest with you. I think people are going to lose their jobs based on what happened in that game against Jacksonville. There's just You just can't have a 27-0 lead evaporate and then you lose it. On the last play of the game, um, that's just a bad look for the Chargers. But, you know, just to kind of round this back to the Jags, man, you want to talk about momentum going into a divisional round game. I mean, they got it. The wind is at their sails right now. And who knows? Could it carry them to a point where they are competitive against the Chiefs next week? Potentially. I think that defense showed if they're able to bring effective pass rushes, against Patrick Mahomes, like they were able to against Justin Herbert in that second half, I think the Chiefs are going to be a little bit more in a dogfight than people originally anticipated, uh, simply just because I don't think a lot of people really thought that the Jags' defense could step up to a point after giving up 27 points in the first half, limiting that offense with the Chargers to three in the second half. So I will say, you know, the Jags are a young team. As far as I'm concerned, they're a team that's going to be going through growing pains for the next couple of years. But the fact that they're in the playoffs and the fact that they got this wild card win to advance to the divisional round, I didn't expect that. So kudos for them. And um, going up against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs next week, it's going to be a challenge. But like I said, I think they got some momentum at their back and the Chiefs got to be careful because we have seen wild card teams in the past. Once they get momentum, they can be a very tough out in the playoffs. And some of them have even gone on to win Super Bowls. So not saying that the Jags are going to do that. I'm just saying as precedent, the Chiefs really got to play A-plus football going into next week because the Jags, if they can force some turnovers against that Chiefs offense, that game is going to get a lot more tighter than people expect. So great win for the Jags, great comeback, and we'll see what happens going into next week. Going to be a big one, going to be a huge game, especially, I mean, for the sake of it being Trevor Lawrence's 
biggest game of his career, as will every other game as if they continue to progress. I'm going to say one final thing on the Chargers, and I know you're going to agree with me. I think Brandon Staley just packed up all his stuff already. I, I think, think he's so. done. Yeah. You can't have that. And, I mean, I will say, from a game plan perspective, I don't think they could have asked for anything better to start off the game. 27 nothing on the road? Are you kidding me? I mean, that's a perfect start. And then they just completely fell apart in the second half. And it was just one of those things where I, I, I just look back to that, that last touchdown that the Jags were able to get in the first half, or the first one, I should say, but the last touchdown of the first half. I think that, that calmed them down. I think that kind of got them into the right mindset. I think defensively, they made some great adjustments in the second half. And offensively, bro, they didn't miss a beat in this in the second half. The nope. Chargers had no answer for them. So, and I mean, it didn't matter whether it was a drive that took, you know, three, four, five minutes, took some time off the clock, or if they had drives where they just marched down the field to like four or five plays. They were able to score effectively in that second half and basically have one of the craziest comebacks that we've ever seen in playoff history. So, like I said, you know, with momentum being at their back right now, that could take teams' places. We've seen it happen time and time again in the past. So, uh, we'll see if the Jags can hone in on that going against the Chiefs next week. But, man, if you're the Chargers, that's not a good look. That's just not a good look. So Sorry, Charlie. It's, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> that's, a that, that's a tough one to uh, to look back at. So, but hey, you know the season's going to end for a lot of these teams, except for one. You know, that's and, usually how it works. But I mean, well, you know, one one final jab at Charlie. Remember how he said the Colts? You know, we blew leads and all these different things. I mean, we blew a lead, and we only got a higher draft pick. You blew a lead at the most important portion of the season. And it was the third largest comeback in postseason history. Yes, mm -hmm. we gave up the biggest in regular season history. We knew we weren't going to the Super Bowl or the playoffs. So I think theirs looks a little bit worse, especially because of the magnitude of how much they were up and the situation they were in. So that's all I'm going to say before we go on to the next one. Um, I mean, speaking of, you know, catching momentum, this is a team that is very familiar with catching momentum at the right time. And that's the New York Giants. Mm -hmm. In 2007... Kyle knows this very well. They were the final team me. to clinch a playoff spot. Don't remind me. And they ran with that and took it to a Super Bowl. So the Giants are off to a similar start yet again. Once again, the sixth seed. And they go into Minnesota and they provide the upset. So, Kyle, what are your thoughts on the Giants probably playing their best game of the season at just the right time? The Giants had a phenomenal, had a phenomenal performance. I couldn't believe it. Offensively, they did not miss a beat. And one of the things that Kevin actually brought up last week that actually ended up being true was the fact that that Vikings defense is not to be trusted with. And it showed up here in probably the worst time of the year. Daniel Jones and that Giants offense, they didn't miss a beat the entire day. Whether it was Daniel Jones uh, running RPOs, passing out of the backfield, or Saquon Barkley running on the ground. They were just able to string along great drives, one after another. And the Vikings had no answer for it. And I know a lot of people kind of talk a little bit about the Giants not having the best wide receivers. And a lot of these guys are either inexperienced or they've been dealing with injuries at the wide receiving core this year. Well, as far as I see it, 
when it comes to what the Giants were able to do at the wide receiver position, they looked fine to me. They were able to get separation. They were able to convert on third down consistently throughout the day. And, I mean, outside of the one drop by Darius Slayton in the fourth quarter, Kev, that that's one of the worst drops you will ever see. I mean, he was wide open with open grass in front of him. And that, that would have I mean, sealed the game, would have gave him a first down. But, I mean, outside of that one play, that Giants offense was humming the entire day. Now, to kick it to the Vikings, the Vikings showed that they could at least go toe-to-toe with the Giants from an offensive perspective because, you know, it was kind of a back-and-forth first half. I believe the Giants were up 17-14 to at halftime, even though the Giants' offense had looked better than the Vikings did in the first half. The fact that it was only a three-point uh, lead for the Giants going into halftime, I imagine the Vikings were actually feeling pretty good about that, knowing how effective that Giants offense was in the first half. But once again, just the Giants were able to string along drives in that second half. And the biggest thing to me with the Giants was they were able to cash in on third downs. They were able to convert at least like two thirds, if not three quarters of their third down conversions, which was absolutely critical. And they even converted some big ones on fourth down as well. So the Giants executed at a high level the entire game. They didn't really make any costly mistakes outside of that one Darius Slayton drop the entire game. And when the defense needed to make plays, especially in the late stages of the fourth quarter, they were able to do that. The Vikings had two drives in the fourth quarter to be able to either tie the game or to eventually take the lead late in the fourth quarter. And the Giants shut them down defensively. The pass rushes were getting there. They were forcing Kirk Cousins off of his spot. And it just threw off the offense as a whole with Minnesota. So a great win for the Giants. Um, the Giants advanced to the, the divisional round where they will play the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Giants and the Eagles have, you know, obviously some really good history here. They've played each other twice a year because they're in the same division. But the last game of the year, these two teams played against each other. And the Giants kind of gave them a, a run for their money. So, and that was despite the fact that Daniel Jones was even starting in that game. So it's going to be a fun weekend for both teams next week. But when it comes to the Giants, uh, they proved me wrong. Daniel Jones was able to be the quarterback that I haven't really expected him to be up until this point in his career. He's usually been turnover prone, hasn't been able to make the plays that needed to be made late in games, but that did not happen yesterday. He stepped up to the plate and he executed at a high level. So as far as I see it, I think the Giants are going to be a tough out. They've got a stingy defense. They have a great run game with Saquon Barkley. And Daniel Jones has been pretty solid this year. From top to bottom. He's not turned the ball over. And he's relatively consistent at completing his passes. I think that's a good formula for them. Going up against the Eagles next week. So Kev, the floor is yours. I mean, Daniel Jones earned himself a payday with this game alone. This is the Giants' first playoff victory since 2012. That is 11 years ago. And Daniel Jones, his fifth year was not picked up by the Giants. I'm pretty sure that uh, there are some reports going out that they are in discussions with both parties here in Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones for potential extensions. I think that with his dual threat capability of being able to escape pressure and at the same time being able to extend plays with his legs, I mean, he has you know some tangibles right now that a lot of other quarterbacks don't. I know mobile quarterbacks aren't exactly the, the, the wave of the future, or should I say, you know, aren't necessarily the ideal quarterback that you want because of just you know history proves that mobile quarterbacks get injured and I'm going to get into that in just a moment but Daniel Jones did it in the air too he had 11 incompletions as a whole 24 of 35 over 300 yards passing 
two passing touchdowns. If Slayton doesn't drop that ball, I guarantee you that you know he potentially can go out there and score. It really depends on the outlook that you have. And then there was another situation where there was a um, an illegal motion in the second in the second half where Daniel Jones throws a strike in the end zone. He would have had three touchdowns. This game could have gotten out of hand really quickly to start off the second half. But it is what it is. The defense is for both teams and until the Giants were really able to get into a rhythm in terms of uh, putting pressure on Kirk Cousins. This was a game where it looked like it was just going to continue to go back and forth the entire game. But here we are, and Daniel Jones just beat out Kirk Cousins. I will give Kirk credit because he only had eight incompletions, and he had 273 yards. I mean, his numbers look great, but in terms of the offensive line for the Vikings, which was the biggest point I wanted to bring, they looked awful. The pass rush of the Giants got to Kirk. It didn't result in sacks, but Kirk was hit 11 times. There were multiple situations where he was rushed, thrown off his feet. I mean, I mean, there was a crappy, horrible roughing the passer call on that final drive that actually extended what would have been a third down or a fourth down, if I remember correctly, that I just thought was complete horse crap. But here we are, and it, it, it didn't make a difference. I mean, they didn't necessarily run the ball effectively either. Dalvin Cook only had 60 yards. They had 61 as a, as, as a team. Kevin O'Connell was stuck, and he was one-dimensional. Throw, 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 throw. Almost 40 attempts for Kirk. You have to give a balance. You have to find a way to get into a rhythm and, and keep that Giants defense, whatever consistency they had, um, keep them off rhythm. And they weren't able to do that. I mean, TJ Hawkinson had an incredible game with 129 yards. He, he may have been the trade deadline acquisition like player of the year because of how valuable he was while Irv Smith was out. And even while Irv Smith returned with a high ankle sprain, TJ got all the targets. I think the Giants defense did incredible against Justin Jefferson. 47 yards total. He had seven catches. The Giants defense found a way to contain him in ways that made it work for them. He didn't beat them over the top, and he didn't gash them for any big plays, and they were able to bottle up Dalvin Cook. That is a successful formula for a team to go out there and win playoff football games. Didn't have any turnovers. They ran the ball effectively, and Brian Dable once again just finds a way to lead this team into a place it hasn't been in over a decade. So kudos to the Giants, man. Shout out to all my boys, all, you know, Santino, Evan, all the guys back home that are Giants fans. I mean, I know I predicted them to win. I had it in my, I had a gut feeling. I will say one thing, like I said at the beginning of the segment, this team gives me 2007 vibes. Sorry to Ducky and I'm sorry to Kyle. They're winning at the right time and the quarterback play based off of this game has taken a step in the right direction. This is the confidence booster a person like Daniel Jones needs to run it up in the playoffs. I know we're going to talk about the divisional game, and I'll break it down a little bit more. If Philly sleeps on New York, New York's going to the NFC Championship. Philly has a tendency to play down to a lot of their opponents. If you don't come out swinging for the fences, they're going to run, you, they're going to run away with this. I think that's fair to say. I think just based off of what they were able to do, just from an offensive consistency perspective, they didn't skip a beat. I mean, they were able to extend drives, get critical third down, and even some fourth down conversions. And whenever the Vikings needed to stop, they just couldn't get it. And I, I think, you know, the point that you bring up about Philly going up against New York next week, it's going to be a tough out. And knowing the history of these two teams, I think we're going to have some fireworks next week for that divisional game. So... I would, like, like T.O. used to say, get your popcorn ready because I think it's about to go down in Philly for that divisional game. It's going to get chippy. I think so. So, and, you know, 
with a game taking place in Philly. That's just like the essence of Chippy. So Literally. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That's it. We are going to transition to our last wild card game of the weekend. And that is going to be the San Francisco 49ers just beating the brakes off of the Seattle Seahawks. Now, granted, even though that the 49ers won this game by the score of 41 to 23, did not start out that way. Uh, the Seahawks on the road were actually leading at halftime by the score of 17 to 16. And then the second half happened and the 49ers just ran all over them. 49ers made great second half adjustments and they never looked back. They easily advance to the divisional round where they will eventually play the winner of the Cowboys and the Bucks game. Uh, Bucks game. So uh, that, that'll be an interesting matchup depending on who's going to win that Bucks and Cowboys game. But let's focus on this 49ers win. Incredible win by them. It was a dominant win from them. So Kev, to kick this one to you, how good are you feeling about the 49ers going into the divisional round after beating down the Seahawks in the wild card game? I would say that I'm not worried. I would say that I'm going to be paying attention to how that first half, first half of that game begins. I mean, because San Francisco may have started off with a 10-0 run, but that defense led up 17 points in the second quarter. This is the second week in a row where they have a big explosion of points allowed, and that's not a good look for the 49ers. I mean, like not second week in a row, but second game in the last few weeks, should I say, because when they played against the... Uh, when they played against the Raiders, that was just an absolute atrocity on the defensive side. But going into next week, I would say that San Francisco found a way to get it together in the right way, and that was led by Christian McCaffrey. I said he was going to have 125 yards on the ground. He had 119. He averaged eight yards a carry. That is insane. Christian McCaffrey is just genuinely having an absolute comeback player of the year kind of potential season. And I mean, the 49ers making the trade for him, similar to what I said about Hawkinson, you can make the argument that that was the trade of the year because of how much better it made San Francisco. I've said it a thousand times in the last month and a half. Brock Purdy has just been everything the 49ers needed. They have not missed a beat. I think he's 6 or 7 and 0 since starting. He's got a playoff victory under his belt. He is the mystery relevant pick. The last pick of the draft. And he is leading arguably the best team in football into the next round of the playoffs. Guarantee you, if you would have said that, I don't know, four months ago, you would have laughed in my face and said, you have no idea what you're talking about. That's the beauty of this sport. Next man up matters. Being prepared matters. Having good coaching matters. And playmakers. Debo Samuel, 74-yard touchdown. Insane. Brock Purdy didn't have to do a lot, but did enough. 11 yards per throw attempt. 332 yards in the air. Three touchdowns, no interceptions, no fumbles, no turnovers. This is how you win football games. Again, my biggest thing was that they, they, that they ended the half on a slow start. Seattle got it going. DK Metcalf just seemed to be an absolute nightmare. I mean, he had 136 and two touchdowns, 13 targets, 10 receptions. I mean, he was just a man amongst boys. We all know the matchup that he provides with his physical capabilities, his speed and strength. I mean, 
DK Metcalf, when healthy, is one of the best receivers in football when given the right opportunity. And I think, similar to what I said about Daniel Jones, Geno Smith has earned himself a contract with this performance, this year's performance. Other than the defense being atrocious, Geno Smith put this team in a, in a position to be competitive, and they made a playoff game because of it. So I give Geno Smith a lot of credit, a career backup, a first-round pick that did not pan out, or whatever pick he was in the draft at the time. Um, he just he got it done, man. Kenneth Walker, unfortunately, wasn't really able to get it going either when they started to go up in terms of San Francisco. So with them having to be pass-reliant, Geno only had 10 incompletions, but that San Francisco defense found a way to get it done. They sacked Geno three times, and they had that turnover. So, I mean, I got to give credit where credit is due. Kyle Shanahan made adjustments. D'Amico Ryans made adjustments in the second half to hold Seattle. No points in the, se- in the third quarter. Six total points in the fourth. That is how you win championships making those adjustments, and making plays where it counts. The 49ers, no matter who comes out of the next round or the, the, the next game being tonight's game, I don't think it matters. I think San Francisco has solidified themselves as an NFC championship team with this performance. Kev, I think as of right now, I think the 49ers are the best team in the playoff. And I understand that the Eagles and the Chiefs have the number one seeds in the AFC and the NFC. But just from a total roster perspective, offensive defensively and special teams i don't think there's a better team than the 49ers right now and even though that they gave up those 17 points in the second half bro that defense locked it down in the second half like you said only holding that seattle offense to six points in the fourth quarter so you know this game had a little bit of everything for the 49ers a little bit of bad but i would say there's a majority of good to take away from this game and i think it's going to serve them well going into the divisional round i think when we look at Brock Purdy and his ability to lead the offense, he succeeded, I think, far beyond any sort of expectations that the general public had about him. I think within the locker room and maybe within the coaching staff, they saw some promise and they saw some potential um, before he got any look at the starting quarterback position this year. And ever since he's filled in relief for Jimmy G, he has gone far and beyond what I think most NFL fans even expected. Bro, they have not lost a game since he started. Even in the game that he filled in relief for Jimmy G, didn't lose that game. And he is putting that team in a position to win games, game in and game out. And the biggest thing that I could take away from him specifically is he does not really turn the ball over. There may be some times where he throws maybe an errant pass here or there, but by and large, the offense is humming. They're not turning the ball over and he's not turning the ball over. I think if the offense is just able to maintain that consistency going forward, I think they're going to be fine. And not only that, they were able to get great contributions from their run game. They had over 180 yards rushing to go along with the 300-plus passing yards that they had from Brock. You have 500 total yards of offense. Man, that's phenomenal. Now, granted, Seattle doesn't have the best defense, and you kind of have to factor that in too. But overall, that offense is doing some special things, putting up 40 points in the process. That's a good look. They definitely have some momentum going into the divisional game. And I think, you know, as far as I see it with their offense, the sky's the limit. Defensively, to me, they're still one of the best defenses in the NFL. You can make the case that they are the best defense in the NFL. Didn't show it in the first half. Definitely gave up some points in the second quarter. But when given those second half adjustments, they stepped up to the plate and holding the Seattle offense to six points in the second half, that's a good look for them. Now, they, I think they will be tested going into next week, whether they play the Bucs or the Cowboys, just because I think the Bucs, even though they've had their issues this year, 
That's still an offense that you have to respect. And when it comes to the Cowboys, same thing. You have to respect those offensive capabilities that Dak Prescott can lead with the Cowboys and Tom Brady can lead with the Bucks. So, you know, I think, I think they're in the right space right now. I think overall, they're trending in the right direction. And I think as long as they just don't make mistakes and their defense plays up to snuff, this is a Super Bowl team. And that's just kind of how I see it. It's it's exciting to see San Fran pan out the way that we both thought they would. I mean, again, 10-game win streak, multiple multiple quarterback situations, injuries, and they've overcome it all. It's why I really, really, for me personally, it's why I like Kyle Shanahan for Coach of the Year because of what he's been able to do despite all the obstacles and hurdles he's had to overcome as a head coach. Mm-hmm. So whoever comes out of tonight's matchup, it's 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 going to be interesting because obviously both teams are known for different things. I would say that Tampa, at least this season, is known a little bit more for their defense outside of Tom Brady's big explosion game to clinch the division against Carolina. And then, of course, you have Dallas, who's known for more of an offensive output this season because the defense kind of faltered and fell off in the second half of the year. So I would say that the team would have to prepare for two different teams, obviously, but like completely different styles. Um, based upon who just comes out victorious tonight. But that puts us into our next topic, which is going to be one of the final ones of today, the divisional rounds, just overall analysis and opinions. And I mean, last week I took the NFC, so I'm going to take the AFC this week. Um, Kyle, I'll, I'll just kind of pass it your way. Obviously, you know, tonight we kind of just have to figure out what's going to happen. But I mean, just make a basis prediction on what you think is going to happen in the divisional round so far. All right, so in the NFC divisional round, I'll focus on the two NFC games here. Um, let's just go over the game that we already have settled right now, which is going to be the Eagles going up against the Giants. So this is the third time that both of these teams have played against each other. They're divisional rivals. And as far as I see it with this game, it's going to be gritty. I think it's going to be a grimy game. Uh, simply just because when I look at New York's defense this year, they've been stingy. They have given opposing offense difficult time, game in and game out. Granted, their record doesn't show it because... I think they finished at a 9-7-1 and record. But the defense is really, I think, the primary factor here for the Giants as a whole. Simply just because I think their defense has won them a lot of them their games this year. And I think going into this game against the Eagles, that Giants defense is going to have to step up to the plate and force some turnovers against the Eagles. The Eagles this year, they are not really a turnover-prone team. I think there was at one point where they were 10-11 games into the season and they only had three turnovers as a unit until they ran into the commanders, and I think had three turnovers in that game alone. So the Giants, from a defensive perspective, they're going to have to turn it up, and they're going to have to force some turnovers uh, to get the ball back to Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. And with the way that they looked against the Vikings last week, if they're able to maintain that consistency going forward against the Eagles, they're going to have a difficult time. Uh, excuse me. They're going to have a pretty good time uh, going up against the Eagles. When it comes to the Eagles, the Eagles... I think they just had to have a better overall performance than they had in the last game of the year. Jalen Hurts came back. Uh, he was kind of going through some injury issues, but now that he's, I would say, probably recovered to a good extent, knowing that he had that bye week, um, I think their biggest thing is just be consistent on the offensive side of the ball, get into a rhythm, convert some third downs early, and put the Giants' defense on their heels. If they're able to do that, I think they'll be fine. Defensively, when it comes to the Eagles, I think they'll be a better unit overall than what the Vikings were this past weekend against the Giants. So I do believe that that Eagles pass rush, I think it's going to be solid. And knowing what that secondary can do to force some turnovers, I think Daniel Jones and that Giants offense could have a little bit more of a difficult time 
going up against the Eagles next week than they did the Vikings this past weekend. So overall, I think it's going to be a very competitive game nonetheless. Then to kick it to the 49ers and who they'll play uh, based on who wins this Cowboys and Bucks game. So let's say, let's play hypothetical here. Let's say the 49ers play the Cowboys. I think the biggest thing with them, with the 49ers specifically, is slow down Dak. If they can slow down Dak and they can slow down the run game in Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, I think that's going to be the game plan here. When it comes to the Cowboys this year, they've been known to turn the ball over offensively. Dak Prescott is one of the more turnover-prone quarterbacks this year in the NFL, and that's despite the fact that he missed a good chunk of the season. So I think from a defensive perspective with the 49ers, ramp up that pass rush, get Dak to throw some errant passes, and let that secondary jump on it, get some turnovers, get the ball back to Brock Purdy and that offense. And from offensive perspective, you know, Brock's got to just continue what he's been doing, not turning the ball over, giving uh, good touches to uh, Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield, and just literally just keep the offensive machine running and let that hum against that Cowboys defense. And that Cowboys defense has been suspect uh, time and time again this year. And it wouldn't surprise me uh, if that Cowboys defense gets in an early hole that they wouldn't be able to bounce back. And then to kick it to where the 49ers would go up against the Bucks, this is a game, to me, it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to be an absolute beatdown like we saw the first time when both these team, teams played against each other. Or it's going to be a defensive battle. Because when we look back to that first matchup, the Bucs got absolutely smoked. Defensively, they couldn't stop Brock Purdy and that 49ers offense. They couldn't stop Christian McCaffrey. It was just a train wreck from a defensive perspective from the Bucs. For the 49ers, it was phenomenal. So if you're looking at this from the Bucs perspective, they got to play better defense. And Tom and the offense have to get it together. And there have been times where that Bucs offense has not looked good this year. They've been inconsistent. And it's really been predicated on the offensive line not being able to win the battle on the line of scrimmage. And we kind of saw that take place uh, the first time that these two teams met. So from a Bucks perspective, they have to ramp up uh, their defensive pressure. They just have to bring an overall higher degree of tenacity than they did the first time around. And they got to string some drives along. They get some points on the board offensively. To the 49ers, maintain that defensive pressure that they did the first time around against Tampa. And just don't turn the ball over. I'm basically just rounding it out like this with the 49ers. Don't turn the ball over. And if they keep their offensive consistency humming, they're going to be a tough out regardless of who they play, whether it's the Bucks or the Cowboys. But that's how I see uh, these games playing out just from a first impression perspective. So, Kevin, I'll let you take it from here, bro. Yeah, I mean, so the AFC is going to be interesting for me. And the reason I say that is because I'm actually going to start with the Bills and the Bengals game. We talked about this just a few minutes ago. The offensive line of both teams were just horrible in that first matchup. Joe Burrow was getting pressured. Josh Allen was getting sacked. Turnovers were, were made. I mean, Joe was able to limit the turnovers to, to no interceptions or fumbles, and he was able also to score uh, a rushing touchdown, um, obviously, within the red zone. So you're looking at it like the Bengals didn't turn the ball over, but if Joe's pressured with a better pass rush from the Bills, I would assume safely that the Bills are going to get home a little bit better. I mean, when the when the Bills pin their ears back and that pass rush comes swarming, that is going to be a very, very competitive game. But thankfully, the Bengals don't have to worry about Vaughn Miller because if Vaughn Miller was playing, this would be a whole different conversation due to the fact that there are multiple injuries on the offensive line for the Bengals. So, you know, Joseph, count your blessings where you have it. Um, in terms of offensive output, both teams have the potential to score 35 to 40 points. I mean, they both have explosive offenses, decent run games, but 
I just it's 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 hard for me to to pick a definitive victor. I just I don't know why. Once again, I've I've stated a multiple times, uh, especially with what happened with Demar a few weeks ago. The Bills are riding an emotional kind of wave right now that makes me feel like they can't lose. And I mean, that was our preseason prediction for them to make it to the Super Bowl and win. But I mean, when you're going up against Joe Burrow, one of the most poised quarterbacks, one of the most electrifying players at the quarterback position at his age, you just look and say, well, the, the Bengals are led by confidence. They're led by a swagger. They're led by a, a, a guy that doesn't let anything rattle him. So I would say that even if Joe does get off to a rough start, the offensive line does allow pressure. I mean, all being, you know, knock on wood, Joe stays healthy. I think that they will make this a competitive game. I think this is going to be a shootout because both defenses did not play very well against their first round matchups. Cincinnati played a little bit better, but I will say that the Bills, the Bills secondary gave me a little bit of an issue because they allowed 31 points. I know they had a defensive score and a lot of them were in, uh, you know, a lot of those turnovers were given Miami good field position. But if you couldn't stop Skylar Thompson, um, and that offense, as, as, as badly as they struggled, I don't know if you're going to be able to necessarily stop Joe Burrow and that three-headed monster of Jamar Chase, Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. I will say that Joe Mixon's got to have a better game. 1,000%. Joe Mix- They have to feed Joe Mixon. You have to establish the line of scrimmage, and that's going to be the hardest part because that offensive line is so bad for Cincinnati and so weakened that is going to be very complicated for them. Zach Taylor has got to have this offense balanced. You got to give Joe time and the defense has got to consistently pressure Josh Allen. I mean, realistically, we all know that Josh Allen is turnover prone, especially I mean, look what he did in the first round against Miami's defense. We'll see what happens, but that one's going to be a good one. I think that is a must see game for me. Um, it's the game that, like I had said at the beginning of the episode, we were kind of like not necessarily robbed of because you don't want to say that based off of an injury that you can't control that. But it's the game that we unfortunately missed due to the DeMar Hamlin situation. So it'll be good to see that this is the game we're going to be able to watch on TV for next week's divisional round. Now, the Jaguars and Chiefs game, to me, it should be clear-cut and concise, right? Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, Pat's the better quarterback. Travis Kelsey, um, you know, Evan Ingram, Travis Kelsey. The wide receiver core for the Chiefs, they're experienced, but I, you know, with Juju Smith-Schuster and a couple of other pieces, I would probably say right now, based on how hot they've been, I think Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and Marvin Jones Jr. have been playing very well, or should I say Marvin Jones Sr.? I forget what, uh, I don't know if he named his son Jr. or whatever, but the point is Marvin Jones, right? <laughs> um, I think that they've been a lot hotter as of recent. I think that they have a lot of momentum behind them right now. And I think that with Jacksonville getting that come from behind win, this game will be competitive, at least in the first half. Kansas City knows how to make adjustments. Obviously, we know that Andy Reid is one of the greatest coaches in NFL history in terms of what he's been able to do for two franchises. And I believe that Kansas City will come out on top. I just don't know how it's going to start. Pat Mahomes has had some bad games this year, like every quarterback in the league does. But this is the time you don't know if that bye week has them rusty. You don't know if Jacksonville's momentum will carry into this game going into Arrowhead. We don't know if the Chiefs defense is going to be able to replicate what the Chargers did. There's a lot of factors kind of going into this. And I will say confidently that this is going to be, like I said, a competitive game in the first half. But I believe the Chiefs make a second half adjustment similar to what the 49ers did in their game against Seattle this past weekend. And I think the Chiefs move on. Um, in terms of making a prediction for my last game, it's going to be difficult. I want Joe Burrow to win, but for the sake of my prediction in terms of for Josh Allen and the Bills to win the Super Bowl, I'm going to go with Buffalo. It hurts me to say that out loud. I don't want to go against Joe. I just feel that those offensive line woes are going to provide to be or prove to be very, very big issues. 
And um, the lack of the run game with Joe Mixon the last couple of weeks doesn't give me a lot of faith. So I have the Bills and the Chiefs moving on into an AFC championship. Yeah, I mean, if I had to guess, just based off of where the NFC uh, divisional rounds stand, if I just had to pick two teams uh, that would advance to the divisional round, um, I'll take the 49ers and who they would potentially play between the Cowboys or the Bucks. I don't think it would matter. I think the 49ers advance in each scenario. And then uh, to kick it over to the Eagles and Giants matchup, I think just based off of where we stand right now, it's probably going to be the more competitive game of the two divisional games in the NFC. I would bet the Eagles just slightly. I think that that one's going to be a dogfight, though. Like, it wouldn't surprise me the Giants win that one. But I have to see if they could establish that offensive consistency early against the Eagles like they did against the Vikings. And I will say the Eagles have a better overall defense by a mile than the Vikings. So the Vikings were the second ranked, were the second ranked worst defense in the NFL this year. So, you know, the fact that the the, the fact that, you know, the giants were able to put up 31 points on the board against the Vikings, you kind of have to take take that with a little bit of a grain of salt, but if they could do something like that against the Eagles next week, against that defense, that's a good performance from them. That could be enough them to win in the game, but I don't think it's going to be like that. I think it's going to be a relatively lower scoring game than what we saw this past weekend with the Giants and the Vikings. So that one's going to be the dogfight to me. But if I had to say, give the Eagles the edge on that one. The issue with that game for me is the Eagles' lack of rush defense. I mean, if Daniel Jones gets it going with the RPO and Saquon Barkley starts to spin all over them, that is going to be a very, very tedious game. One big piece to pay attention to in that game also, Lane Johnson, if he plays, is playing at maybe 75 to 80% with a torn abdomen. If they pressure that right side, if they load that side up, Jalen Hurts is going to be running for his life all game. Yep. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, the one thing that we'll have to kind of pay attention to with Jalen is, is he going to be good? Like, from a health perspective, because he definitely looks rusty in that first game back against the Giants. Right. Granted, you know, he had missed some games. So, I mean, I'll give him a little bit of a break there. But if that continues, where he just looks off, the rhythm's not there, I'm telling you, the Giants can take advantage of that. So, especially if they know that, like, if they can pressure him, that they can get to him. And if they can limit that run game uh, from the Eagles, that's going to be a good formula for the Giants. So, the Giants definitely have a shot to win that one. I'm not ruling that out. 100%. That's going to be a very, very close game. But uh, yeah, that that pretty much closes it out for us. I mean, I mean, obviously we have the Bucks and the Cowboys game tonight. Uh, we've already covered that game. We did that with Charlie last week. Uh, there is one thing that we should probably add to that game specifically. Ryan Jensen is active. Ooh. Well, they activated they activated him from IR. That's big. That so is big. I should I, I I should rephrase that. He should, I don't think he's active for the game yet. I think. We'll see what happens, but I know that they activated him off of IR, so huge that they could potentially. I don't see him back. not playing. I think he. I, I think given the uh, the designation that they just gave, he's. I think he's gonna play. You you, and, you can't activate him to not play him. That that literally makes no sense. Yeah, I I think even for him, knowing that he has an opportunity to play this game, he's gonna be out there. Yeah, I would say so. so. You know, in you know, if he's able to play effective on top of that. That's a huge boost for that offensive line because I, it is safe to say that that offensive line has been a dumpster fire the entire year. So Need all the help they see. can damn get. <laughs> but 
You still rolling with the Bucks? Yeah, I'm going with the Bucks, man. I, I don't got faith in Dallas. That defense is ass, and I think that Dak Prescott is probably going to be prone to making a turnover or two. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, I don't know, man. I think Dak may have two, three picks. That's almost like Trevor Lawrence territory, my guy. I, I said two or three. I didn't say three for sure. I said two or three. I just, I have no faith that that offense is going to be able to move without relying solely on CeeDee Lamb. If Dalton Schultz has 100 yards, I would say that that's a big win. You got to contain 88. That's the biggest task tonight. I mean, the way that I see this game potentially going, I mean, I know we already talked about it, but it's like it could go very similar to the first game that we saw from both of these teams. Yeah, I agree. It was the first game of the year, and these teams are a lot different than what they were at the beginning of the year. But that Tampa defense can play pretty stout football against the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys could be in some trouble. And Tom and, Brady's, you know, what, 7-0 against Dallas in his career? Yeah, he's never lost. So that's a, it, you know, history tends to be on Tom's side in a lot of these statistical it, pieces of football there's there's one little fact that i should throw out there i, I saw this uh before we started recording okay you're the stat guy here let me see if you can get this one what year was the last time that the cowboys run won a road playoff game you can take a minute on this one a road playoff game mind you they haven't won a lot of playoff games recently so when 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 dak and zeke were in the league against Green Bay with that field goal. I think that was a home game. No. I know that the catch was a loss in Lambeau. Obviously that, you know, for those of you that disagree with it, I don't know if it was a catch or not. I don't really give a shit. Um, I know they lost against Seattle in the early 2000s with Tony Romo. I think with them being 13-3, and three, they had to have been home for their entire playoff run because I know they beat Seattle in one year and they beat they Green lost, Bay in one year. They lost to the they lost to the Giants in 07 at home in the divisional round, I think. Yeah, because that's when they made their that's when they made their run to go to the Super Bowl. The, the Giants did. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think it's recent. I think it would have to be like early 2000s or something. Because I'm, recently, I'm drawing a blank, and if it's something that happened within the last 10 years, I'm gonna be pissed. I think it was 1995. Aha! It was like in the 90s, like the mid 90s. Uh, it's been a hot minute since the 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 Cowboys. Oh, basically, so what, your entire existence? Yeah, I, I think the last time that they won a playoff game on the road, I think Brady was in high school. So he was he was in California at that time. So that was a long time ago. So actually, you think, I think, you, think, you, think you think Tom throws it 50 plus times today? Because I can't trust I can't trust the run game of that team. No, especially with the offensive line. I just I can't. I, I think he throws it at least 40. Minimum, and I mean, like that's a that's a scratching the surface. Like if he doesn't hit forty, something's wrong. Yeah, it just depends. Uh, well, here's the thing: it depends. I think who gets off to a hotter start. That's true. I think it. I think if the Bucks get off to a hotter start, maybe maybe they'll try to run the ball more effectively. But knowing the Bucks this year, with them falling behind early and then having them to catch up, yeah, then it's probably going to be around fifty. It, you think it playoff Lenny makes an appearance? I, he'll be there. It's just whether or not the offensive line is going to open up the run lanes for him. So he'll be there. <laughs> he'll be there. I just don't know how effective he's going to be. But Jeez. no, it, it just seems like the Bucks have been always chasing the game. Every single, not every single time, but there have been just multiple times where it's like they're just chasing the lead the entire time. You know, and if they do, I mean, they get it at the end. But they've been. They've been extremely inconsistent this year, and I'm not, I'm not banking on the Bucks winning this game. 
I'm just favoring them a little bit more slightly than the Cowboys. Yeah, I think the Cowboys are going to choke. I think the Cowboys are going to choke. They're going to do what they do best, and that's choke. So we'll just kind of leave it at that. But Kev, that pretty much wraps it up for us, bud. Yeah, I did want to bring up one thing really quick. Um, just to acknowledge history, LeBron James is the second player in NBA history to eclipse 38,000 points. For those of you that are unaware, the only other player to do that is the all-time scoring leader in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I also believe statistically that LeBron James is the youngest player in every category possible in terms of quickest to 1,000, quickest to 2,000, and so on and so forth. You saw that, and you that, saw that trend. Nick. You saw that Nick Wright tweet, didn't you? I did, bro. But that's when you think about history in the NBA. Yeah, that is absolutely insane to think that he is the youngest in every major scoring category in terms of to achieve that as fast as he did. Absolutely insane. Yeah, unfortunately for them, they still lost to the Sixers last night. So, I mean, you can take the individual. I know you can take the individual stat with him uh, as far as you want to take it. But I know for him, he's probably like, I don't really care. It's like. You yeah, have to go out there and win and compete, and they're just not doing that right now in L.A. But no, I mean, you know, when you look at Kareem or where he was at the same age that LeBron is right now, I mean, LeBron is literally running laps around Kareem when it comes to just overall effectiveness. LeBron's still averaging 27, 28 points a game. At 38. Kareem, I don't even know if he was averaging, I don't even think he was averaging close to 20. I think he was probably in the mid-teens. So his overall effectiveness, I mean, once you get older, I mean, it's going to drop a little bit. But with LeBron, it's been incredibly stable. It's and, been nuts. Um, you know, barring some sort of, like, major injury, I I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. So, no, good good, good on LeBron. I mean, that record is going to get broken. This year, and, without a doubt. Yeah, it's it's going to be broken. It's just, how much more did he have, does he have left? How many points does he need? Uh, I don't know. Let I, me I, take a look. Kareem scoring I have a look it up as well. So Kareem had 38,387. So, so he's LeBron, LeBron's going to get that in like a month or two. Yeah, he's like 350, 375 away. He'll get that. So That's just I mean, so nuts to think that that record's going to be broken. That like for, for people that don't understand, that record has been standing since the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like that's 30 plus years that this is like, this is one of those records that people thought was impossible to break. LeBron is going to do it with between longevity and consistency. It's not like he's been playing 20 years and he's been slowly declining the last like five or six and he's just staying to beat it. This has been like a level of consistency throughout a 20-year career that has barely shown any dip, if any, at all. Outside of health, because he's getting older, you can't stop that. The, the, if, if the man doesn't miss significant time like he did when he first got to the Lakers with the groin and the ankle... I say he would have broke this a while ago, to be honest Probably. with you. Probably. Yeah. He'd actually, if he had stayed entirely healthy, bar, you know, taking away those injuries, he'd probably be somewhere around 40,000 at this point. Nuts. But, I mean, overall, you know, I think probably within a month, within a month or two, he'll, he'll yeah, get that. I'd, I'd say probably month, say a month, month and a half. Yeah. So, what we're looking at, like, the end of February? Probably, I'd say. So, since we're mid-January, yeah. Because we have to include the all-star break and stuff like that. And God forbid he were to get injured or anything. You know, you never know. So I, that's why I, say, I lean yeah. towards two months just in case. Yeah, well, I mean, if he gets on a streak where he starts getting like 30 points left and again. right. Again? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to doubt the guy. He's shown it time and time again. I mean, all he would really need is about 10 30-point games. 
and he's pretty much got it in the bag. And he's or, more than capable. Or 10, 25-plus games. I mean, if he has 25 one night, 30 one night, I mean, anything above 25 over the next couple weeks, he's definitely going to get it soon. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, Kareem's career lasted 20 years. It started in 69. It ended in 89. LeBron's basically on that same trajectory. And it is kind of crazy that in year 20 that they're basically at the same point mark. Kareem's will always be more impressive because he was a big and they, they didn't shoot threes back then. LeBron, as bad as a career three-point percentage or average as he is, that's still a big portion of it. So I will I will give Kareem that benefit. That was all twos and free throws for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But I imagine Kareem was probably getting a higher totality of the number of shots a team was shooting. Oh, well, early I mean, on. yeah. You know, obviously... Especially his, those his Bucks days. Yeah, I mean, as he got older, his production dipped just because he just wasn't as effective. And and Magic was running the show with the Lakers at that point, so... Showtime. You know, you're going to take a step back, but LeBron is still the prominent feature of whatever team that he's on, and that's not going to slow down anytime soon, despite him being 38 years old. But uh, True. Kev, you got anything else before we wrap this up? No, man, that's going to wrap it up. I know it's uh, 2.30 here on a Monday, and again, you know, shout out to everybody in chat, you know, Ducky, Nick... Brian, everybody, Corey, I mean, it's 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 just incredibly appreciated that you guys have stuck with us the entire episode. We try to go live every couple weeks, if not every month or so, if we get a day off like this. But I mean, for you guys to be here the whole time, support it, like the, like the channel and comment with us. It is just beyond appreciated for me and my partner. So that's my shout out to the group. But in terms of content wise, um, guys, that's everything we have for you. We're excited for tonight's game. We're super, super hyped for the playoffs just being here in general. So content's going to keep flowing. Social media is growing on all platforms. So we are just excited to keep this 2023 year success rolling. But other than that, that's everything I got, man. No, and uh, like Kevin said, basically just a broken record at this point every episode. Uh, We just appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, whether it's going to be listening to us on the audio platforms. I know the audio file will be uploaded in a little bit, uh, but to everybody that was in the YouTube live stream, we definitely appreciate you guys tuning in and just interacting with us throughout the episode. And uh, we just hope that uh, you guys enjoy the content, support the podcast as you have up to this point. And we just hope that it continues moving on into the future. Like Kevin said, we're going to be very busy with just the NFL playoffs still ramping up. Uh, do expect that the NBA content will start ramping up just because there's going to be a dip in our football content simply because we're at the end of the season, essentially, with football. So I uh, definitely expect some more basketball content as time goes along, but that's all I got. So uh, once again, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you guys when we do. See you later. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing today. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. 
available now wherever you listen to music.